The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to talk some BYU football. Let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Joining us now, former BYU quarterback, our friend Tanner Mangum. Tanner, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Jake? How you doing? Hey, doing great. It was a pretty wild weekend of college football, and uh, unfortunately, BYU's undefeated season, undefeated no more. Give us a couple of thoughts about what you saw on Saturday. Yeah, it was a wild Saturday across the board. Uh, I mean, one of the better college football Saturdays in recent memory, and yeah, too bad for, for BYU to be one of the victims. But uh, I think it... It, it, uh, I thought it, I thought it might happen at some point. I didn't think it would happen uh, this Saturday against Boise State. I thought they would be able to take care of business at home. Um, I think after last year's win, I thought they would kind of continue that momentum. But really, you got to give credit for Boise State for showing up and being the tougher team in in, uh, in the rainy conditions. Um, when it comes to rainy conditions, ball security is, is paramount. It always is, but especially in the rain, the ball is slicker. It makes it a little bit harder to throw, a little bit tougher to hold on to the ball. And BYU struggled with that, and Boise State didn't. And so I think it, this is a classic example of a team beating themselves. I think in a, nine times out of ten, I would say BYU is the better team. But when you beat yourself with mistakes, with penalties, with turnovers – uh, it's it's nearly impossible to win when you when you can, when you turn the ball over four times like that. So credit for Boise State for being the, the sharper team overall. You know the weird thing about that Tanner and this game did not go at all like I thought it was going to go. I'm with you. I I thought BYU was going to win. I thought it was going to be by double digits. I thought they were going to yeah. run all over Boise State and, after that start. Yeah, and and it just it just didn't turn out uh, that way. And what's what's weird about it is this BYU team hasn't been perfect, right? But they haven't made a ton of critical mistakes and they've been able to make the plays at the at the right times to to win the football games. It's just so interesting that that was not this game at all. No, not at all. And I think something that was interesting to me was a stat I saw about how for the last 15 games in a row where BYU has scored first, they've won. Mm. And in this in this instance, they, they scored first. They got off to a a great start. They were up 10 nothing, uh, And I, I thought it was going to be business as usual. I thought BYU was going to take the momentum. I think that's, that's where BYU does best uh, when they can start off fast. Obviously, the, the record proves it. Um, but, yeah, it didn't turn out that way at all. And um, another interesting stat was the um, the, the defense. Um, as, as far as, I mean, the defense gave up a ah, – I can't remember the exact, the exact number, the exact stat. But it was something about giving up a certain amount of points. They'd won a certain amount of games. Um, 
but this 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 uh, this loss snapped that streak. But I think there should be a caveat with this one. When the offense turns the ball over four times, you can't expect the defense to to play lights out. You can't expect the defense to put the shutout or to, to hold the team under twenty points, um, because you know that's that's unfair to put uh, the, that much pressure on them with short fields. Um, it, and so I think if I you know with the if you look at who is to blame or which you know which which unit. Offense, defense, special teams is is kind of more responsible. I think you really got to point at the offense because anytime you uh, turn the ball over that many times, it's it's unfair to ask your defense to uh, to handle all that responsibility. So uh, definitely not not what I saw happening. But that's football for you. You know, every week is a new story, and this one was the story of of ball security. They did, like you said, they've done a great job of taking care of the ball all year. But uh, they didn't do it on Saturday, and it came back to bite them. To your point about the defense, um, I think you're right on the money. One of my uh, completely wrong predictions before this game was if Boise was going to win, they were going to sling it all over the yard and uh, have a ton of yards and a ton of points. They only had 312 total yards, Tanner. And they they scored 26, but uh, 172 passing, 140 rushing. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like it was bombs away from that Boise State team. No, not at all. And that's all they needed. Uh, yeah. that, that's really for, if you're Boise State that's exactly how you want that game to go you don't want to be caught in a shootout you don't want to be caught in a situation where you're um, just slinging the ball over the field you need some turnovers That that's especially in the rain it's, it, it reminds me of the 2016 Poinsettia Bowl where, where we played against Wyoming against Josh Allen and, and, and Wyoming down in, in rainy San Diego it was a messy ugly game Jamal Williams had had one of his best games, and and uh, but it came down to ball security uh, and turnovers, and we won the turnover margin, and that made the difference in the game. And 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 this was a an example of that, where in these types of situations, typically the team that takes better care of the ball will win. It's not going to be who has the most yards. It's not going to be who has um, the most uh, exciting offense that day. It's, it's it's just about the little things, about ball security. And Boise State did that. And BYU didn't, but then also credit Boise State for making the plays when they needed them. Uh, you know, I think Bachmeyer made some big throws in, in some big situations. Uh, Shakir, uh, Boise State's receiver, made some great catches, great plays. Uh, so they made the right plays when they needed them. But overall, they just they managed it. They they managed the the chaos. They handled the situation better going on the road rainy conditions. They handled it, and um, it's unfortunate that BYU's um, uh, undefeated streak had to come to end like that in such a, I think, frustrating way when it comes down to turnovers like that. There are a lot of things, Tanner. Uh, I've talked to you about this in the past, but I'm I'm not big on independence. I, I'd rather see BYU in a league, and that's happening, of course, which which is great. I think it's a great situation with him in the Big Twelve. But yeah, now part, I'm with you. Yeah, part of the hard part though with independence has been, you know, when they do BYU does lose a game, all of a sudden it's well next stop Shreveport, Louisiana, and the Independence Bowl. <laughs> you know, and and yep. so how. I guess how do, does the team deal with that, or do you think they they feel a letdown, and how do you get over it? No, it's, I'm totally with you. It's definitely how it is. I think that's what's so great about having a conference to play in is that, in a way, it, it breathes new life into you after your non-conference uh, schedule. I mean, look at Arizona State, for example. They come into Provo, and they lose, but then 
they go on and end up having a couple big wins, and now they're back on top in the Pac-12 South. They're a contender for their division in the Pac-12, and they've got a great shot to uh, you know, to win that conference and go to a Rose Bowl. They still have so much to fight for, so much to play for. But when you're an independent like BYU, you lose a game, and it, it drastically affects your chances at, at your postseason um, group of five or at-large bid for a New Year's Six Bowl. And now all of a sudden, you're just you're just hoping that other teams lose to give you a shot, or you're you know hoping something works out that, to give you a, a, a chance at a, at a bigger bowl. But more more likely than not, you're just going to you know whatever generic uh, lesser tiered bowl it is you're you're assigned to. I don't even know what it is this year, but uh, that, that's a definitely a downside of being independent. Which is so I think the Big Twelve uh, having that conference to to fight for will be huge just in keeping guys motivated, keeping guys excited. I mean, I know, I know the guys will be motivated. It's not that they'll be, um, you know, working less hard or, or not as excited to keep playing and to keep winning. I think anyone on, on that team will tell you that they want to win, win out just as bad as anyone, but it is too bad that they don't have, won't have that opportunity to, uh, to play uh, at a, you know, at a new year six bowl, which I think they really, they, they could have had they won out. Granted, I, if, if they can keep one loss, I think there's still a chance but uh, it definitely definitely changes things moving forward. So the positive side of independence, we'll, we'll look at the, the other side of the coin here for a second, is it's allowed BYU to play many interesting opponents that maybe they wouldn't otherwise be able to play because of restrictions on how many non-conference games you play. And, of course, this week falls into that category, I think, uh, with a, a matchup yep. on the road against Baylor, who's a, who's a good team. There's familiarity with the coaching staff uh, down there, of course. And, you know, that is the nice part about independence is some of these matchups are really interesting, and I think we have one of those this week. Absolutely. That that is perfectly said. Uh, I think um, this is an intriguing matchup. Uh, I think especially with with Jeff Grimes being the offensive coordinator at Baylor, it makes it even more interesting. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, uh, it's last year when when Coach Grimes was on the staff. It, it's an interesting mix uh, as far as where the credit goes for BYU's resurgence in their offense. Obviously, Coach Grimes was the offensive coordinator and Aaron Rodgick was considered the passing game coordinator um, and Fessy Satake was the receivers coach. But I think anyone close to the program will tell you that that Aaron Rodgick and Fessy Satake were uh, instrumental and essential pieces of turning that offense around. Um, you know, they had a lot of influence on the, the, the concepts that were used, the plays that were called, um, you know, Zach Wilson was vocal and, and has vocally talked about that, about how involved they, those two were uh, in the offense. And so then Coach Grimes uh, gets the, the job at Baylor and and um, I think has established a new identity with that offense, with, with their, their outside zone run scheme. Um, they've obviously done a great job of taking care of the ball. They haven't thrown an interception all year, so they, they're, they're – Taking care of the ball, which is which is a must, but uh, you know, in what the film that I've seen, their passing concepts aren't as explosive or dynamic, or their their down the field passing game isn't quite as um, doesn't have as quite as much quite as much potential, in my opinion. And so it'll be interesting interesting to see how BYU's defense, who I think in practices last year and years prior, uh, BYU's defense played really well against Grimes' offense, and and so I think they're familiar with it. 
Uh, Eliza Tuiaki knows how to defend it. They saw it every day in practice. Uh, obviously, the passing concepts will be different because those are Rodericks and uh, Fessies. Um, but uh, I, I, it'll kind of be uh, a battle of, of wits with uh, Tuiaki and Grimes on Saturday. It should be fun to watch. What was your favorite road game you played in? I mean, I, 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 it sounds cliche, but I have to say Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, the, on Saturday, watching the Nebraska-Michigan game, I was, I was talking to my wife about that stadium and just how impressive it was and when it's packed with 90,000 fans and, just, and how loud it was in that environment. Um, I mean, I remember yelling as loud as I could and, and hardly being able to hear myself. Um, it was it was so loud, and, but then after the uh, after the hail mary completion, hearing the uh, majority of it go silent, but that that one section of BYU fans go, go crazy. That was just a fun environment to be in. Wisconsin's definitely got to be up there. That was a great. Obviously, I'm highlighting the victories. We had a lot of defeats as well on the road. Um, you know, we played in the big house against Michigan in 2015. That was it was a, a blowout, 31-0, but an impressive stadium to be a part of. I think that's definitely one of the highlights of independence, but it's worth it to, to go to a conference and have a conference to play for. But yeah, those are, those are some of the, the highlights for, for me, the games that I played in on the road. I thought Nebraska would probably be your answer, but I thought Wisconsin might be a sneaky contender. And I'll, I'll tell you what I remember most about watching that Wisconsin game was when they did the jump around thing at the beginning of the fourth quarter and it was you guys doing it. It was all up. <laughs> yeah, yes. it was awesome. that, that, that crowd wanted nothing to do with the jump around at that time. That was that was fun. We, we decided, you know what? If this is, we're going to make this our thing, and it kind of it was. There's a way of just showing who has the momentum, and um, but uh, I mean, how about Utah though? Yeah, going on the speaking of on the road games, going to the Coliseum and then taking care of business against USC. I, I think it's a big win for that program. Big win for Cam Rising. Uh, that was a great road victory for them there. What did you think about Cam? Because I thought this, well, this was his best game, and that's that's not saying a, a, a lot because he hasn't played in a ton of them. But it felt like they they coached him a little more aggressively. I felt like he was allowed to do a little bit more. Yes, and, and something that I talked about um, with the kind of the Charlie Brewer Cam Rising uh, battle and coaches maybe giving a little bit more freedom to certain players after. Um, you know the offense shifts not only when you switch quarterbacks, but you kind of you, you shift the the style of play. You shift what what plays you call, and you let your your backup quarterback, who's now the starter, you you know he's he's got less to lose, if you will, and and so you you realize that it's it's time to make a shift. I, I think something similar happened with myself in, in 2018 uh, when I was benched for for Zach. Uh, it, not only was the you know, the quarterback switched out, but the offense changed up too because obviously yeah. a change needed to be made. Uh, the offense wasn't performing well, and so players, play personnel needed to be switched up, play style needed to be switched up, and I think that's something similar happening with Utah. They're, they're changing it up a little bit. They're, they're trying new things. They're being a little bit more aggressive, um, you know, put, letting Cam do his thing and do what he's, what he's good at, and I think he not only – is uh, you know the offense playing better? But I think they're 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 playing together more. They they have more of a, an edge to them. They they're, they're playing with some swag and playing with some confidence. And uh, I I think it's they've got a great shot now to to kind of I think turn the tide a little bit and then and, uh, and salvage what looked to be a pretty bleak 
uh, start. I think they could, you know, if they keep this momentum going, they could have a, you know, a pretty respectable showing this season. You know, and I, I don't know if I expect you to have an answer to this, but this is just a, a compliment to you from where I sit. But uh, you bring up that 2018 and, and when, uh, you, you know, Zach Wilson got uh, brought in and, and uh, you uh, got benched, as you say. I always thought you handled that incredibly well. Like in, in today's day and age, especially, too, where it's all about self-gratification and, and getting what you want and all this, I thought you handled that like a, like a real pro, for lack of a better word. Like never heard a negative word from you. And whenever they show you on the sideline and all that stuff, you're always part of the team and all that. So I, like I said, I don't know if I expect you to have a reaction to this, but I, I, thought, that said <laughs> a lot, I thought that said a lot about you. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I thank you. Uh, I, I think what it came down to was what kind of teammate would I want to have uh, if if the roles were reversed. And you know, I just I just thought about you know what, what kind of what kind of teammate am I going to be? What kind of leader am I going to be? And just try to really tap into my own uh, heart and just figure out how I wanted to handle it. I mean, obviously the the frustration is there. The the, the anger is there, but at the same time, you have to you have to um, think about the bigger the bigger picture. Uh, and I think that's just you know I just, I just did my best to be the best teammate that I could be. But I appreciate that. Thanks for the for the kind words. Because I would have quit on the spot, and I know Lloyd would not only have quit on the spot, but he would have vandalized a car on his way out. So I thought, <laughs> <laughs> thought the way that you handled it was really, uh, really admirable. And uh, and uh, we we always appreciate you coming on, Tanner. You always you n- you never shy away from the tough subjects, and even when that comes to comparing it to to something you've been through, that's why we love you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, well, no, of course. I think that's where the best experience comes from is learning from your own experiences. So, no, I'm always happy to share it, and thanks for having me on. We appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Tanner. Take care. That's our friend Tanner Mangum, former BYU quarterback. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what a situation he was uh, went through in 2018. And you know what? He's really right about that. And, and when he says that the offense was called differently after he was replaced, that was really true. Really true. If you think back to that year and how conservative the even that win against Wisconsin, remember all the fly sweeps and stuff, and they barely let let Tanner throw, and then you know he loses his job to the freshman who turns out to be pretty good. But all of a sudden BYU starts letting it out and and running a more aggressive offense. It would have been super easy for Tanner to blame the coaches, have a bad attitude, not help the young guy. You know, it would have been really easy to do that. But that's not the direction that he went. Which I think, like I said, I think that. That says a lot about him. Not that he was in the same position as Charlie Brewer because Tanner probably couldn't have transferred. But, I mean, you know, in a similar situation, we see a a quarterback who transfers the next day. And, again, I don't blame him because it's an eligibility thing, but it's just Tanner went the road that that's the harder one to go down. You're right. I totally would have vandalized probably the coach's car on the way out. Oh, yeah. There there would have been something. Yeah. Uh Kalani's car would have been just jacked yeah i'm out of here and you know what you're gonna have to go to the body shop because yeah your car's getting some damage Either that or you're gonna have to kind of like on tommy boy you're gonna have to cover it up with uh some cardboard yeah of what i actually scratched onto there because it's gonna you're not gonna like it yeah let me just put it that way uh but no it, it's you did the right thing be a good teammate 
And I, I thought that was interesting what he said. Pictured what he want in a teammate and try to hold himself to that standard, which could not have been easy. So there you go. Big thanks to Tanner for jumping on with us. Coming up next, Coach Tim Lacombe jumps on for a segment. We'll talk a little Utah Jazz basketball. Remember, pregame takes over at 6. It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. Right now, easy to say Alabama and Georgia are literally in a league of their own. But the rest of that pack, that 128 other teams, BYU is a playoff viable team, and they genuinely believe that. And so to go out there and to know you can put your third string quarterback in and just decide, yeah, we're just going to run all over this team, that is completely game changing. And to be honest with you, I don't see that really changing over the next five, six, seven years because of the momentum going into the recruiting pickup, the Big 12, all these different aspects that now BYU is playing. It's going to be very hard not to see BYU as a top 25 team for the next 10, 12 years. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is the big show. Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joining me now in studio, of course, my co-host for Jazz Game Night, pre-half and post, former BYU assistant coach Tim Lacombe. What's up, coach? Jake, it's a pleasure. An honor to be with your legendary self. I don't know about legendary. And Lloyd uh, Cole is an extra, like a, it's just like a, to the the nth degree. You to the degree. To get both you guys in here tonight, man. Lucky guy. See, now I really don't believe you because nobody's ever said that about Lloyd. I oh, love that's it. not true, dude. Lloyd, Lloyd and I go back. We were, we're we commandeered a class together. Yes, we did. Back we when back I, I Rodney Dangerfielded it. I was thirty six. Back, back to school. Back to school. Back to school. Lloyd never invited me to any fun frat parties. Though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting the benefits of it. I was just. Grinding as a 36-year-old man trying to get through. I did, and you told me, well, I'm married, and I've got, like, three kids. Actually, home. you did do that. I think I did. And you're like, yeah. what? Like, wait, what? Okay. That sure, that, back, that back to school movie is, is not terrific, but it does have one of the funniest scenes. I don't know why I find this so funny, but when he... he Gets Kurt Vonnegut to write his paper about Kurt Va- Kurt Vonnegut book, <laughs> and it gets failed. And, and the the teacher says, like, obviously you you know nothing about Kurt Vonnegut. And then the next scene is him yelling at Kurt Vonnegut on the phone. Think about like the whatever Kurt got for that appearance. Cre- they guaranteed fifty thousand books. So funny. Obviously, you know nothing about Kurt Vonnegut. Then he's yelling at Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, anyway. Back to school, Rodney Dangerfield. That was, you know, just references I yank out the, of the... The Triple Indy? Wasn't that the name of his dive that he yeah. did? Where he's done the different diving boards? Well, the hard part with him is I get him confused because I always see him as the snarky guy out on the golf course, too, yeah. in Caddyshack. But obviously, life well lived right there. Cheers to Rodney. You ever... Uh, there was... I think it was on network TV. It was like a documentary about the making of uh, of Caddyshack and how ju- the what was his name Judge Snails Judge or what, Snails Judge, whatever. <laughs> he and Rodney Dangerfield legit hated each other on the set. You could see it. Yeah, <laughs> Ted Knight. <laughs> yeah, they hated each other. Oh yeah, 
Anyway, <laughs> that's what when he says. Be. Oh, can I get a free bowl of soup with that? <laughs> you get a free bowl of soup with that hat. Oh, it looks good on you though. Looks good on you though. <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, before we dive into the Jazz, we just had Tanner Mingham on, and we talked about, uh, you know, it's going to be a, uh, a couple of years, but BYU going to the Big 12 and how great that's going to be for the football program. Can we start off uh, real quick today by talking about how great that's going to be for the basketball program? Maybe, I'm an ACC guy, but maybe the best basketball league in the land. And BYU, what a, I mean, you were on that staff during the West Coast Conference days. What, a, what an incredible... Uh, uh, thing that's going to be for that staff down there. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. We were a part of of changing kind of what our legacy league was. You know, even though the Mountain West was you know uh, it had been the WAC at one time and the sixteen team WAC and gone through a ton of evolution. Uh, majority of the teams we saw in the Mountain West were inherent rivals. There was a lot of history there. And, you know, the places you would travel, the gyms you would go play in, everything was, um, you know, it was almost uh, something we all could say, hey, you turn right here, you go here. And, and that all changed real quickly And when we went to the West Coast Conference. And I tell this story all the time. I remember walking out the very first time we played LMU, and it was a Saturday afternoon, um, and the game was at 1 o'clock. And we were in going in for our last uh, chalk talk, whatever, 15 minutes before tip, and I kid you not, there were about 400 people in the stands, and it was so different, and the feeling was so different, and there was part of that we had to get used to. And the advantage, you know, that Mark and, and his staff have, obviously, you you just mentioned, it's it's if it's not the best league in, you know, just blanket best league or best league in the country, it's certainly in the conversation every single year. And so, um, you know, all that stuff, you know, of trying to create excitement, that's not going to have any bearing. <laughs> the, the challenge will be that you've got to go into West Virginia, uh, into a place like Lubbock, Texas Tech, where there's a rich tradition and kind of a resurgence lately. Uh, you know, Baylor having just won the national championship. So You haven't even gotten to Kansas yet? Yeah, right. And Kansas, who just happens to be this is most probably the most storied program or one of the the three most story programs in the history of college basketball. So go down that list. And yeah, man, it's, it is an unbelievable opportunity. And what's, I, I truly believe that guys come around um, in their time, you know, it's typically right. Coach Rose was the right guy to be there and kind of establish the program, get it through that transition. And it wasn't all roses, you know, going to the West Coast Conference. But Mark Pope is a perfect guy, and he's already kind of started to shape the program with fifth-year transfers, and you know certainly going out and finding um, guys you know that that can come in after being somewhere else, and then kind of really fit in, and understand that this is a great opportunity to play in an awesome program in front of a lot of people. So he's using that to his advantage, and I think that that you know those are building blocks, and, and by the time it, the Big Twelve hits, Mark will really have. I think he's going to have the program in a really good place to compete. Here's where I always felt bad for you guys in the WCC, because Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU were all good programs, right? The three of you were going to battle it out for the top, and Gonzaga is what they are. Well, but, Gonzaga was going to win. I mean, right. let's be honest. That's what was hard about the West Coast Conference. We were going to battle, but Gonzaga, the track record was pretty good. They were going to win. But on those years where you did get in that large bid to the NCAA tournament, 
you were never really eligible, regardless of how good or bad you were, you were never really eligible for a good seed because they just weren't going to give the West Coast Conference that many good seeds. So all of a sudden you're playing in the in the in Dayton or I can't remember some of the other seeds you guys had, but you know, eleven, twelve seeds where your first game is just gonna be brutal. In the Big Twelve you get that benefit of the doubt where maybe you finish fifth in the league, where you can still qualify for a good seed, and maybe those years you finish first, second, third in the league, you can get a really good seed, but you're not destined to have a complete uphill battle if you don't win the league outright, which is rough. Well, the other thing, too, is there is a part of being in the West Coast Conference, as you speak, that if you, you know, if you're going to get a great seed, you've got to schedule a a perfect preseason, which is really difficult to do because you're going based on projections, too. Um, projections and and you can you can shoot it the best you can you can try to load it up the best you can but you really don't know how that preseason is going to play out till you play it and then once you get into league you know Gonzaga's probably you know they're going to lose once because we're going to beat them once or twice but beyond that they don't lose a lot to everybody else so you've got to be nearly perfect and so when you get nicked in league um, it really hurts and then like you said you get to I mean, the year we beat Iona after being down 26 at the half, and we all celebrate and jump around, and then we find out, hey, you guys have got to get yourselves from here to Louisville, and you're going to play in the Yum Center the very first game of the day, noon, which is a day and a half away against uh, Marquette. So, so have good fun luck with, with that. that. Yeah, right. that's brutal. So it was just never, you know, that was the thing we could, we got that three seed. The, the year with Jimmer, and that's where everything kind of aligned. But it was difficult when we went to the West Coast Conference to have enough quote unquote street cred to to get a great seed. And even this year, BYU had a great season. You know, this last year, and they're playing UCLA in the first round. Um, who goes on to you know get to the the Final Four? So it, it's really hard. And I think, like you said, to get the Big Twelve, you finish nine and nine in that league. Right or whatever you're 500, and you've still got a chance to be a five or six, you know, depending on how good the league is. Um, so it's um, you know it, it, there is definite advantage in playing one of those power leagues. It's not fair, no, but it's reality. No, it's not fair, and it, that's the funny thing about all the NCAA stuff. I have the hardest time. They they claim to be this you know this equity, this this they're there for equity and for whether it's male or female and, and all you have to do is walk through and see there's nothing near equity here. Right. So stop saying equity and understand that hey the big schools with all the draw and all the money they're going they're probably going to do the best. They're going to have an advantage. They're going to have well yeah they're going to have an advantage to do the best. That's why I always wonder how good like the the incredible college coaches is it because they're brilliant coaches or is it because of where they're coaching and what um, abilities they have to recruit resources and all those things like is it any wonder that so many college football coaches go to the NFL and fail because all of a sudden it's about you know coaching in X's and O's and it's not you, you know I, I picture Urban Meyer coaching I was say, the, what's the most recent example of oh, that <laughs> can you imagine he's like oh so this is what it's like when I don't automatically have the best team strange Boy, I don't hmm. seem to be as I don't seem to look as smart when you know I don't what? have every all the best players. You know what? Forget this. I'm going. I'm going to go back to Michigan, <laughs> like Harbaugh. 
hey, it, it's, but because, it's a perfect example. It's because Urban can, can pick his spot, which he was always really good at, where he can get the best players, and then he's going to go in and be a butt kicker and uh, you know tighten the reins and and do all those things that that made it work for him at co- in college, which you can do in college, but you can't get away with in the pros. And then all of a sudden, you have to really dial up a game plan, and it is about the X's and O's, and it is about managing grown adults who are making millions of dollars and it's like wait what I what I did at Ohio State isn't working at Jacksonville what do you know I don't have the best players who are frightened to death of me oh man what am I going to do and and this is just I mean this is a whole nother show segment but I'll throw it out there that's where this is all going with college now yeah the the coach is going to hold less and less of the cards with money now streaming in um, legally you know, that doesn't have to be completely underground. There's no, ways that now you can now. <laughs> you can funnel it in. And certainly, you know, the the guidelines is hilarious. So the coach can't be involved in any of it. Of course they're not going to be. It's just one of their big boosters who owns a company in the air, particular area. But there's probably not going to be any discussion about the deal between the coach and – I mean, it's just stuff like that. You roll your eyes. By the way, what planet are people on who make those rules? Well, they're, they're certainly they've never dealt in the reality of what coaches do every day. Or do they know and don't care? There's probably an element, legalistic element, where they we have to do this. You know, we have to say on the plane that you need to put your seatbelt on. Um, and I know it's redundant and it seems really elementary, but we're going to show you how to do that with your seatbelt. Um, so make sure you put your seatbelt on. I think it's almost a disclaimer in a way. Okay. So I think that because those guys, you got to think there's really smart people that have managed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars um, in their capacity. So I, I would say they know what they're doing, but they've got to, again, I'll use the word that show that that layer of equity. Yeah. It's kind of like they still tell you to not smoke on an airplane. Actually, there was a story I was about to say, when was the last time anybody actually smoked a cigarette on the airplane and they had to do something about it? But it it happened a couple of months ago. Did you see this story where some woman sat down in her seat on the airplane and just lit up up and they're like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I've had a hard day. As if that would... That was okay. She sounded just like that. (laughs) Dude, I'm going to tell you. I've had a hard day. I'm going to tell you, dude, it's a... uh, Man, it's... I remember getting on airplanes as a kid, and those things, it was just like a nightclub in there. You know, they, they had the curtain separating smoking from non, but everybody was smoking. <laughs> it's as you wanted if that to magic curtain was Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a smoke-eating curtain. Yeah, here's the story. She smoked, a, it was on a Fort Lauderdale-based uh, uh, flight where she said she Can you a, blame her, though? I mean, she, we've day. all had hard days. <laughs> we've all got day. our advice. God, you can't smoke that on an airplane. Come on. I've just, you, my boss just yelled at me before I got on the plane. My what do you do to blow off steam, Lloyd? You Big Macs? Like a, just go load up on fast food? Yes. No, I'll, uh, I, get, I go home and I make, like, I'll do me like a root beer float and I'll have all sorts of ice cream and stuff. So it's yeah. eating, though. Yeah, you eating. Eat your, yeah, definitely eating. Eat your stress away. Yeah. So you're going to have a root beer float tonight? Yes. Okay. Just checking. And Maybe two. And some popcorn. <laughs> he's going to come home, sit on the couch. Jessica's going to be sitting there, and he's going to say, I've had a hard day. Yep. Just eat that root beer float, like lighting up a cigarette. By the way, I got a proposal for you. And and she, he'll, 
<laughs> that was funny, Lloyd. All right, stay tuned. Hey, let's talk a little jazz coming up next, uh, going okay. into the pregame show. That's straight ahead on the big show. He's Coach Combe, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We've got Jazz pregame starting the top of the 6 o'clock hour. Tim Lacombe uh, sitting in with me for another segment before we get things officially started. All right, we were going to touch on the Jazz, but we'll, we've got a whole hour of that coming up. Who we, are we just playing there? The Decemberists. Okay. Um, Lloyd was just talking to us off the air about this Squid Game thing. Are You You, you haven't watched it? You've heard of it? It's, well, yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard... That it's kind of all the rage. Um, I did walk in. I was gone for the weekend, came home, and my my oldest, well, my only son was watching it down in the basement, so I didn't. What's Sam think? I don't know. I had, didn't get a chance to talk to him about it, and I didn't want to walk in and watch it with him because if I want to watch it, he's already into it. So, um, But I've heard from tons of people, and then Lloyd just confirmed it. It's, it is entertaining. Yeah, I watched it like in one weekend. I went to town. I just said, kids, go outside and you play outside, and I'm just going to keep watching this. See, well, I, was on the, I was on the Tiger King thing late. Like, I don't know if I'm jumping on this You one, would though. be early right now because it's still, I mean, it's becoming a thing, but I think you still can be They've, considered They're early. setting records currently. Okay, it's well, then you're a little late. Netflix then. streaming like I said, records. This, I watched this like two weeks ago, so. You said it has a little bit of... Uh, What's the name of the Hunger Games? Hunger Games yeah. feel to it, but yes. it's so. It, but it's made in South Korea, so it has the dubbed over English. Yes, yeah. That that is hard for me sometimes too. I have to, if I have to read something or the lips don't match up. It yeah, you're gonna get the lips not matching up. Irritates me. I'll take that over the subtitles, though. Subtitles are there too, though. Are they? Yeah, and they actually don't match up with actually what's being said, but I don't even care. It was still good. I feel like with subtitles, I miss part of the movie because I'm reading instead of watching. Just focus on that. You certainly don't get to see the cinematography as it was intended. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
But Squid Game, yeah, I, I don't know. My my wife actually called me today to to ask if I'd heard of it, and if its uber popularity made me want to watch it more or it impacted me. No, I guess you, you it's going to make you less, want to watch less. it less. Yes, it, you're I a contrarian. Did, I did yeah. say it makes me want to watch it less. You go against the grain just to go against the grain. She wants to watch it. I did tell her I like being ahead of it, not behind it. And if I'm already behind it, I might as well just dismiss it altogether. Fair enough. Well, the funny thing is I come in here. You do watch plenty, though. I mean, you have you definitely have your viewing preferences. Well, I did. I guess you did before the... Before I had another new child. Edition. Yeah. Um, because I don't watch much. You know, you come in and say, have you seen this or that? Or Yeah, I kind of stopped at Seinfeld. That's about where See, things that's ended the thing, for me. Is the stuff I ask you about is like... 15 to 20 years old. We're just we're just in our era. I yeah, think. that's right. You and I. I still want Which you is to, okay. I still want you to watch Arrested Development if you can though. It's like half the references I make half the air. You're you liked Arrested Development. Yeah, I liked didn't Arrested. You? I got to actually go rewatch it. I still have the DVDs. If if those are still a thing in people's house. My wife threw away pretty much all of our DVDs. Well, gave away. You know what my you guys like if you have downtime you do that. I I'm a closet video game. Like if I just have a couple well, hours playing, to decompress. You're playing music or, or no? I'm playing a record. Too. Yeah, yeah. Playing a cool record, and then I'll play like golf, and it's relaxing to me. The Tiger Woods golf on Xbox. So I did reveal a little nugget of truth. Like late my sa- my Sunday night morning, I have to go down in the the man cave and <laughs> play some golf just to. Sort my mind through getting through the week. See, that's funny because I can't remember the last video game I played. I mean, it's been a long time. So I, we got we got our things. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Can't I can't play video games anymore. My son just wrecks me on Madden now. Really? Like well, it's the old Madden because it has Jamarcus Russell on the Raiders. Like it's the old wow. one. He has my old my old PS. How the Raiders 3. do this weekend? Don't talk to me. Don't do that before. I had we go the to Bears break. defense, so they they treated yeah, me. Yeah, well, right. I knew they w- I knew they would do well. They had the Treated best. Treated me right. Best pass defense. Although the rest of my team went like they went to, they just I was in a great spot. The projections were looking solid about midday. Have you ever had that happen? Then it just turns. Of course, this is the segment my wife chooses to listen to. She says, uh, "I didn't throw them away. I donated them to people who would actually watch them." And then adds, "I am listening to you right now, so I hear everything. So that's nice." I think she does. She when she hears that I'm on, she, she jumps think, right she, on because I bring out the it's true rock and roll guy in you. She's a big fan. She is. All right, Jazz Game Night pregame show starts next. Getting you ready for the Jazz and the Pelicans right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.